This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 77 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And um, up until last night, the Bruins had won eight of their last nine, so there's definitely a lot of good to talk about, and we will. Uh, there was We were left with a bad taste in our mouth last night, uh, getting you know blown out by the Hurricanes 7-1, 5-1 after the first period. Um Bridget and Scott, how are you guys? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go in chronological order and, and, and touch on that last because there's probably more to talk about from last night and we can touch on the Canadians, Flyers, and certainly the Pre- Predators game that was a great game on last last Saturday. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, on last night specifically, like, I don't read too much into this. Uh, you know, after the game, Rask said, it's already gone. Bergeron said... Um, you know, throw in the trash or whatever he said. Um, it was a bad, it was just a complete no-show. Like, they, they just didn't compete. And those games happen. You know, if it becomes a trend and they suck over, like, their next three games, then, yeah, then you've got a problem. Um, but they were playing so well before that that it makes it easier to kind of accept the... It's just one bad game. You know, if this had come earlier in the season when they were really struggling against seemingly every good team they played, uh, I would be a lot more concerned because then it would be part of a larger trend. But they've not only competed with, they've beaten some really good teams here recently. They had convincing wins over Tampa Bay and Washington, uh, you know, just a week and a half ago. Um, You mentioned that game on Saturday against Nashville. Nashville's a good team. They're in the playoffs. I would expect them to stay in the playoffs in the West. And that was a hard-fought physical game. Like, you, you had to work for that. And, yeah, then they, you know, come out on Tuesday against Carolina. And for whatever reason, you know, basically right off the bat, just weren't there. Just awful mistakes, miscommunications, leaving guys open, losing seemingly every puck battle. Um, and they never got it back. Like, it, it was... It wasn't there to start, and they never found it. And as long as they bounce back, uh, you can write that off as just a bad night. Um, I mentioned this in, in the story I wrote on WI.com, but Carolina right now, has the after Tuesday night, has the best record in the NHL. Carolina, just last week, just three games ago for them, lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets, a non-playoff team, 6 to nothing. Like, it happened to them, too. They had a sucky game where everything went wrong and they just no-showed. Carolina bounced back from it with two straight convincing wins over Vancouver and then obviously the Bruins on Tuesday. Um, so now we see if the Bruins can do the same. You know, if they if they get back to the way they were playing, then it's just a blip on the radar. If they keep struggling, then, you know, maybe we try to figure out what went wrong and why they have all, all of a sudden fallen apart. Yeah, and Bergeron spoke this morning, which we're recording this Wednesday, and he said... Well, he was asked what did they work on in practice after, you know, the no-show um, against the Hurricanes. And he said uh, execution and pace, but most importantly, keeping your energy up, especially when you go down early. So, and that, and that was just the story of the game. The energy wasn't there. And then people were caught out of position. Brian and I were talking about this, I would say, in the pre-podcast. The pre-pre-pod, yeah. <laughs> pre-pre-podcast. Um, just about how players who are usually solid, like Charlie McAvoy, was caught out of place a few times last night. And Brian brought up that after his injury, he's just, is it still lingering? Is that factoring in? Um, or is he it just lo- losing a little bit of confidence? What what caused his performance to be like that? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if it's upper body or lower body because all 
And maybe Scott, you do, but no, his injury was the lower body. Okay, yeah, it was so it was lower body blocks. Lower body injury from, from 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 shot blocks, right? Yeah. So I was really focusing on his skating because, um, you know, just jumping back quickly to the Flyers game, I wasn't able to watch that game live, and um, when I went back and watched it, I on the on the Joel Fabry goal, I think to make it two two or. You know, McAvoy, he just, he, he burned McAvoy, but it's because McAvoy just, you know, I don't know if he just was, he, I know he was flat-footed, but I don't know why. Um, he also had, a, you know, a really bad turnover on a 5-on-3, on maybe a 5-on-4. Again, I didn't see the game live, but, and I know he had the assist on, on Pashnak's hat-trick goal, but I just don't know. So I've been watching his skating. His skating seems fine. It, it More so, he just seems tentative or just um, out of rhythm. So it's just you know something I've noticed is was McAvoy's game. Um, he, he you know he amongst I would say almost his entire uh, you know teammates they they didn't bring it. I, there were a couple guys against Carolina I actually didn't think you know played too too bad individually, but as a team they sucked. Um, yeah, so I just think you know McAvoy. It's it's a long season. When Jack said last night in the broadcast, it was only the thirty sixth game of the year. Mm-hmm. I was telling Bridge earlier, it just seems like I couldn't believe that. I was like, it's only the 36th game. They got 50 plus more games to go, or whatever. It's like. Yeah, they're not even going to be halfway through the season until after the month of January. Right. And no, because yeah. we're, we're like three full months past opening night at this point. So it's like, yeah, they're like barely averaging 10 games a month, like 10, yeah. 12 games a month. It's just been so, so crazy. So, and yeah. Just to add on and, and kind of clarify what. One play in particular that I noticed McAvoy um, not playing up to his potential was when, on the second goal uh, against Carolina. Rask got hit with a puck, gives up the rebound. It was a hard shot. Um, and it hits him in the pads, comes out to Kotkaniemi, who is right above the crease. And McAvoy and Grizzlick were like completely shifted up. No chance of getting back. I don't know if they lost track of him because he was behind the net, came back out in front, able to just knock the puck in as soon as Svechnikov shot it. But they just they lost track of him. They were they were caught out of position, and it just did not look characteristic of the two of them. Yeah, it was like like they both they were both behind the net at one point, and then they both move out. And continue to like press forward. Yeah, drift where, up. Like one of them needs to stay back and cover Kakaniemi, and that—that's what I mean about like just everything being off. Is like that's a perfect example because McAvoy and Grizz, like we know, have chemistry. They've been playing together for a long time, not just with the Bruins, but always back to BU. Like we know they communicate well. We know they can read off each other, and yet in that one situation last night complete breakdown just total miscommunication and they both go the same direction and and leave a guy behind them i think a theme of the whole game was that they just could not clear pucks out of the front of the net they were not helping rask at all he's giving up rebounds yes a lot of them like i said hard shots not always um manageable on that first shot but then the secondary you know like the secondary layer your defenseman have the puck bounce by their stick, they don't get it up, they don't clear it out of harm's way, and they just kind of leave Rask out of position, no way to shift after the original shot, and they just were not helping him. And Brian, you said, you know, they they know Rask is a veteran goalie. Are they kind of just yeah. expecting him to handle that? So uh, you guys, are you guys, you gonna make me do this? You gonna make me talk about the go Hurricanes for it. game? Go, go. I was gonna hold off on the Hurricanes <laughs> game until a little bit, but now we're so deep in it, I might as well do it now. But um, you know, and, and this is. I'm not, I don't necessarily believe this, but I did ask you guys. It's just curious to me, and it could be subconscious and whatnot, but I, I just feel like, and again, going back and, you know, the two the two games where I felt as though the Bruins played the worst in front of, uh, you know, the worst defensively was the Flyers game and the Hurricanes game. And it just so happens that those are the two games Tuca's been in net since he's returned to the Bruins. And this is not, um, you know, indicative of Tuca. This is more about the mentality of the guys in front of him. It's not Tuca's fault. And so I was just, I asked you guys uh, via text. I don't even know if you guys answered. So thank guys. <laughs> no, but, uh, we ghosted you. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I was just curious, like, do you feel that, that some of the players in front of Tuca are relying on him because they know they they know he's back there? And I just don't know if they were as tight defensively. And, you know, the Carolina game, it wasn't Forbert. It wasn't Vakaninen. It wasn't, you know... I guess I'll just leave it at those two. I didn't think those two looked complacent. They, they they're kind of limited, but like Clifton, Carlo, McAvoy, Grizzly, they just seem to play 
like they knew he was behind them. And if it's, I just don't know. I don't know if you guys saw that. And I don't know if there's anything to it. I'm not trying to, you know, accuse anybody or, or, or you know, put words in or actions into people. But I just, that's what I noticed in those two games with Tuka and Nett. And he saved so, their bacon a lot. I, I almost think that that has, I almost think that maybe applies more to the Philly game where Philly had multiple breakaways Rask had to save. Because I think those came from guys being too aggressive offensively that led to the breakaways the other way. And that's the kind of thing that I could see sort of creeping in when you're thinking, you know, maybe we have more confidence in the goalie behind us is you take more chances like that. Which is kind of a strange mentality considering he hasn't played in so long and he's coming yeah, off surgery. True. But Tuesday night, I, I didn't even think it was that. Like, like some of the turnovers that led to their chances were just so sloppy. Like, Carlo had basically like a pass to no one in, in the circle. Like, had it on the end boards and just kind of threw it into the circle right to a hurricane. Um, Vakaninen had a bad turnover yeah, and a breakout. Yeah, to pass it to Clifton. Like, Put it between two teammates in no man's land, and Seth Jarvis takes it the other way. Which, by the way, that was the only goal that I felt like maybe Rask could have or should have done better on. Like, Jarvis gets around Clifton, so he's in alone anyway, so he might score no matter what. Yeah, I was going to say. But Rask, he looked small in goal. Like, I don't know if he got caught kind of between movements or what, but like... Jarvis had a, well, a lot of net to shoot at from from in close. I, just a little bit in his defense, Jarvis made such a quick move through the crease and kind of blew by Clifton, which he, yeah. he shouldn't have been able to get through that easily. Well, like Clifton looked small on that play. He looked real small on that yeah. play. I mean, Clifton gets caught in between because he's trying. Vaganani makes the bad pass, and Clifton's kind of caught with like momentum. Do, do I try to go forward at full speed and try to get this pass or? Do I stop and reset and try to, you know, defend off the rush? And, that's and not he just even got caught I'm, in between. That's not guy. even what I'm talking about. Once yeah. he got back, he did get back. But then he got bumped. Well, here's the problem with Clifton is that, um, you know, he's not he's not a phenomenal puck mover. He's not a phenomenal finisher. He doesn't have a phenomenal shot. Not a phen- phenomenal passer. So what does he bring to you? Well, when he used to be Cliffy Hockey, he was a little bit reckless. But he brought you energy. He brought you physicality. And... Uh, I, like I remember one of his first games. It may have been his first game as a Bruin down in Tampa Bay during um, it was like a month before their cup run actually, and I just remember him stepping up on. I think it was Matthew Joseph of Tampa with a good clean like neutral zone hit, and I was like, that, "There's some spunk on the Bruins blue line that you know they could use." And uh, had a pretty good playoff run and fine in the year afterwards. But I don't know. He just doesn't seem the same player that he was even for his own standards. Uh, Scott mentioned Brandon Carlo. I've been talking about him all year. Not. And it, look, try, like I don't try to, you know, shit on Carlo, but he just he hasn't been a player that that um you know his he should be for them. Um, you know, Derek Forbert, like you expect certain things, uh, you know, certain limitations for him. But Brandon Carlo, it's like he's six foot four, and he just he's not confident with the puck. He's not a good puck mover. He's not physical enough down low in his own in front of his own net. So like there there are some problems in the back end. I you know quickly on the on the Tuca thing on the Jarvis goal and. I think what Scott said, he looked a little small. Um, this is kind of why it's like, you know, I'm just not really sure why they had to rush Tuca um, back to the Bruins. Like, this is why you kind of wanted him to go down to Providence for a couple games, right? To work, to, to, there's a difference between, you know, getting back on the ice at Warrior and, you know, taking some shots from, from Pashnak and, and guys like that. But, like, then there's game situations, there's timing, there's rhythm, there's communication with defense behind the net. And, um, dealing with traffic, dealing with guys in the crease, and I just—I'm not really sure why they had to get him in last week against the Flyers. I know Providence was on a um, COVID little outbreak, so I get that. I just and, and like Tuca was the last problem for the Bruins against the against the Hurricanes, and, and he's actually one of the biggest reasons they probably won against the Flyers. Um, so I don't know. It's just like Tuca. Tuca definitely has a leash right now. He's not. I'm not watching his game and really blaming him for anything. I don't think any of us really are. No. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, why he, you know, ended up, didn't get to play in Providence, um, well, I, I think they just, they didn't want him down there for a week and a half or two weeks. Like, and, and I don't think he wanted to be down there that long. Like, the plan was be down there for a weekend, come up, and now you're back with the big club. And, you know, I, I don't think... I don't really think anyone was going to be thrilled if, like, well, I guess maybe Jeremy Swayman would have been. But 
I don't think anyone's going to be thrilled if Tuga had to hang around Providence for another week um, and, you know, potentially, like, go on the road for a game. Like, he wanted to be back in Boston. He felt like he was ready. And I, I thought the game against Philly, he looked pretty ready. Like, I thought he played pretty well. Um, you know, and as we said, last Tuesday night against Carolina, no goalie was going to do much better no. than that. Like, they just – they sucked, so. He also um... – before things really, you know, went off the rails in that first period, I'm not sure if it was one nothing or 2 nothing. It may have been 2 nothing before the Bruins got their power play goal, but don't forget, Tuca also had a breakaway save on Sebastian Ajo. I know, wanted to, yeah. Which is like, again, it's like if that goes in, in that moment of the game... They're down 3 nothing. It's 2 nothing. And... Now the Bruins end up going down 3-1, literally seconds after making a 2-1, and that's... Them. That's not Tuka's fault. That's their fault. And it's just that was just a sign you just knew it was going to be that kind of game for them. Yeah, and I was getting uh, text messages from you and Nick and whomever that was like, I think I might just tune out yeah. uh, <laughs> at this point. 5-1 after the first period. And, you know, you still have two full periods left to play. You you can still try to yeah. to bring the energy back up, but really you put yourself in such a big hole uh, so early on that you're yeah. gonna have mentally it's harder to to change your mindset after that when you're you're being out. Actually, I wouldn't even say being outplayed, but you're just so far on so far behind in such a hole. Well, they got outplayed certainly after the first half of the first period. Well, um, the, but I just mean in the first part of the first period, yeah. it was you know the effort was more there, but then you kind of yeah. get yourself in a hole no, and it goes away. I thought the Bruins actually got off to a good start. You know, they're moving their feet and the puck was down Carolina's end of the ice, but it would come down Boston's end for, you know, a sh- half a shift and it was a goal. So, but, um, you know, the Bruins did have a chance, even though they were down 5-1, right? So, you go into the... Well, I, I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, like, you go into the second period, you're down 4, okay? I mean, anything can happen. You get a 5-on-3, an extended one, and, you know, if you leave that third, that second period down 5-3 as opposed to 5-1, okay, now you're going to get two in the third. And instead of, you know, they were, they were passing when they should have been shooting and they were shooting when they should have been passing. And it just, it was ugly. I, but it was one of the, it was, it was a game where you just chalk it up. And Andy Brickley said after the game, because Jack asked him, well, Brick, try to break this one down for us. And Brick was like, look, there's a long list, but essentially they didn't move their feet. They lost puck battles and they, and they weren't in position. If you're asking me, you can't have the last two without moving your feet. So the Bruins just weren't moving their feet. So it's a game where it's you're going to have those stinkers. Scott sit off the top. Hurricanes lost 6-0 to the Blue Jackets. They bounce back. It's not that big a deal. Like, it happens. Um, my biggest takeaways, though, from the night were, look, you just played a game against Nashville. Very physical, playoff-style game. And then, you know, Carolina's a similar type of team. They're, they're, they're young, they're big, they're fast, they're physical, they're skilled. So when you play those teams in a playoff series, it's anybody can win one game. I watched that Nashville game, and I just felt like I was as happy as I was to see the Bruins win, and as, as hard as they played, I said to myself, man, if the Bruins and Nashville played each other in a seven-game series, I feel like Nashville would come out on top because of the war of attrition. They just seemed like they were built more to play that style. And so my takeaway from the Hurricanes game isn't that they lost 7-1, that they gave up 5 in the first. My takeaway was um, the Bruins, their their roster isn't where it needs to be come playoff time. And we that's nothing we don't know. Um, but they have to address, I, I, I think they, they do have to get some size, especially on the back end. I just think that's the case. Yeah, two of my final thoughts. Oh, I guess I have a third, but two. That was one of my final thoughts about this game before we move on to talking about the their wins. Uh, was did they? So someone asked Bergeron. I don't think it was Scott, but uh, was the team fatigued after that Nashville game? Is that part of the reason why they just couldn't uh, stay in that game with Carolina? And are you at like we're not even halfway through the season starting to see signs of fatigue or issues with health? I don't know what you guys think about that. Do you think that that's playing in right now? Is that factoring in right now? And my other thing after that, which you can answer the first one first, was they had a lot of opportunities on the power play. They didn't make the most of them. Uh, it could have changed the game. Well, when Bergeron was asked about that, I found his answer interesting because he starts by saying – I think he said that's an interesting question. And then at like, and then he says, 
it shouldn't be. Um, you know, he basically says, like, we're all professionals. Like, we should be used to playing in games like that and recovering. And but he, but and the he fact said, that he didn't, like, outright say, no, that's not the issue. It, it's like, mm, yeah, maybe like, maybe that did carry over. But I didn't, I didn't think that showed itself. I didn't feel like that was the issue early on. They didn't look like a team that was... I just think they didn't bring any energy or, or effort or execution. Like, I, I didn't think they were, like, beat up or tired. I mean, they had two days between games. They were off Sunday and Monday. Like, they, they that... If that was the case, then it's a whole bigger problem. But yeah. And- I, I don't think that's, that was it. Like, I think maybe where that cropped up would be in the third period where... You could tell guys had kind of just given up at that point and were turning the page. And there were several plays where it was like clear that guys were just kind of chipping pucks up the boards to avoid taking a hit and throwing into no man's land. And it's like that's where I think it got to the point of like, well, we're not coming back. Tonight's gone. Like, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and take a beating and take unnecessary hits. Like, let me at least keep my health and keep you know live to fight another day yeah right like regroup for thursday oh and you mentioned bergeron's answer was interesting and right after what you just quoted which was you know he did he pretty much danced around the fact that like kind of not answering the question about them being fatigued he brought up washington and he said they're another team like that we're playing them thursday um so they know they're going to get into this physical matchup again against Washington, and it does kind of sound like they're preparing for that, and they know that that could, you know, that they have to keep the energy up and just expect it to be another one of those rough games. And if they are fatigued and if they are not completely healthy, it might show itself then. Yeah, and, and like, I don't think that fatigue or injuries prevented them from beating the Carolina Hurricanes on you know, Tuesday, January 17th or 18th, whatever it was, and it's not going to prevent them from beating the Capitals tomorrow night. But you have to remember, and and uh, I'm, I'm talking to the mass audience here, like they're, 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 they have 48 games to play in the regular season in about, what, Scott, 65 days, 70 days? So, like, and then that's just to get to the playoffs where it's... Could... A lot more than that. But Is it? It's... <laughs> Several yeah. months. Oh, how many months left in the season? Two, two and a half? Three, end of April. Oh, um, because okay, of, well, because of the yeah break. okay well fine F- forgive me I, I, I'm, I'm not a uh, mathematician but listen, <laughs> it, it's a lot of games it's like a game every other day basically you got 48, from now till the end you of the got 48 games in a condensed schedule and that's just to get to the playoffs where the style of hockey gets more physical and rigorous and it's two months to win a Stanley Cup so it's not it doesn't prevent them from winning regular season games right now it but they if they want to accomplish their ultimate goal of winning like. I just think that the team needs to be they just need to be built to play that. Now, now anybody can get hurt. Like just you can have Zdeno Chara out there. He can go down with an injury. That's not my point. But my point is like to have 48 games left in the regular season plus playoffs. Like you look at you, you look at the makeup of your team. You do have a lot of undersized guys and the guys that you have that are large in stature aren't very physical. Carlo and Forbert, they're not that physical really. I mean at all. But like you know, I'm talking like Matt Grizzly getting hit on the forecheck for the next three months before playoffs. Uh, Clifton, Vakaninen, like, McAvoy, like, he's your number one guy. Like, I just think they need to be a little bit bigger, and that's not something that's going to happen right now. I'm just saying, like, Carolina, for example, that game, right now Carolina is where the Bruins hope to be come playoffs. Like, their roster is what it, they want it to be come playoffs. Like, they're built to win. They're, like I said, they're young. They got size, skill. They they play for a coach that that they believe in in, in what he says, and they bring the energy every single night. The Bruins right now, like their roster isn't what it's going to be come playoffs, hopefully. And you know, up until last night, they were playing the right way. But uh, Carolina's a very good team. But what I'm trying to say is the Bruins aren't on Carolina's level right now, and that's part of it too. Like, don't forget, like a lot of last night was the, was on the Bruins, but some of it was Carolina. Like they're a really good team. Um, so I don't want to harp too much on that game, but I'm just saying, like, they got the Bruins could have won that game last night, and I, I, I just still think that, like, you know, they still have work to do with this roster. Yeah, and I also think Carolina is a team that I think feels like it has something to prove every every night that they face another playoff team, like especially the Bruins when you consider 
the playoff history between those two where the Bruins have had two five-game series wins over them in recent years. Oh, one was a and sweep, right? Was one a sweep? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Anyways, um, but like you said, you know, Carolina's built for the playoffs, and I think they're better built for the playoffs now than they've been, but that's also a team that has a lot to prove in the playoffs. Like, there are a lot of guys in that team who have struggled. Aho, Taravine, and Svechnikov. Um, who have not gone well, far in the playoffs and, and have not played playoffs. particularly well in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, like that feels like a team that has something to prove. And on, like as impressive as something like last night is, I kind of feel like they're not going to prove that in the regular season. Like that's a team that's now at the point where they need playoff results um, in order to like really prove themselves. Yes, I agree with that. And, um, you know, I guess now is a good time to kind of you know backtrack a little bit and talk yeah, about the good. We, right? There were four games since our previous yeah. podcast, and they've still won eight of ten. And two of those were back to back nights with hat tricks. I mean, those those were, the Garden was. I mean, considering Montreal is where they are in the standings, it was akin to playoff atmosphere at the Garden. And Marshawn has the hat trick, and you know the fans are saying USA, USA, just taunting the Canadians and. It was that was an entertaining game for fans. The Philadelphia game was entertaining in the fact that Ben Pasternak has a hat trick, but that was a much closer game, and I don't think they played as well in that one. Yeah, no, they, they like I said, uh, they they Tuka was a big reason they won against Philly, right, Scott? Yeah, um, which you kind of thought that that they would need him to be like second night of a back to back. You know, typically you're not going to be as sharp as that first night or if you have a day between games. So, yeah, so they were going to, going to need Rask to step up, and, and he did. Um, and Boston stepped up. I thought that Mon- – Bridget, you mentioned that Montreal game. Like, that was the best crowd of the season, I'll say, except for the USA chance, which <laughs> the, the, this has been a pet peeve of mine for a long time. Like, half of your team is Canadians. Like, more than or that, Europeans. Yeah, or, or even more. Like – Including, by the way, the guy who had the hat trick that night, Brent Marchand. So, it's it's just silly to me. Like you, they were well, they were doing Olay, and then they were just trying the Ol- to get Olay it. was yeah. great. Yep. Yeah, the calls for Tuca, like you could tell there was like there was excitement. It was a well, I know a lot of people who bought tickets last minute once they knew Tuca was going to make the start, um, first start of the season. So probably because tickets are also like forty. Tickets right were yeah, a... tickets were available. Yeah, they were available. <laughs> I will say, Scott, if bought if uh, if the NHL's teams were made up of players from that area, Boston would still be a really good team. There's a lot of good Boston NHLs out there, but your point is extremely valid. It's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you doing? You got like three Americans on the team. They not ran even, out of even, chance. Not even the coaching staff is American. I mean, you got Cassie and Kelly. Bruce Cassie was supposed to be the head assistant coach of Team Canada. Dual citizen, though. So. True. Very true. Yeah. I, I, by the way, like unrelated, but since we just mentioned, I like that Bruce Cassidy, uh, both before he got named to Team Canada's coaching staff this last time, and when he was asked about you know potentially getting another chance in 2026, he he says like yeah like I'd love to go, and then he drops in like for for either country yeah, yeah and it's right. like <laughs> I feel like that's one I think it's true like he would be happy to go for either country, but obviously Canada is his home and that's right. his first choice, but it's like it's kind of like a but I gotta double my odds here. Well, it's it's like it's like a nice little nudge to Hockey Canada's management of like. Hey, if, if you don't take me, yeah, yeah. you don't take me. I'm gonna oh, be on. I'm gonna be with your rival. Negotiations. Kind of like, like the player, uh, the coaching version of um, uh, Brett Hall back in the day. Brett Hall was uh, he was born he was born Canadian, Brett Hall, but um, dual citizen and uh, chose chose to play for the uh, for the United States in uh, international hockey because you know especially back in '96 the World Cup like you had um, you know the Canadian roster was. You talk about name recognition. That 1996 Canadian, uh, that World Cup, that Canadian team. Oh my God! Like go down that roster. Stupid. So Hall looked at the American roster and was like, oh, "Well, I got Amante. I got I got Madonna. I got Leclerc. I can I can I can fit. I could I could be a star on this team. There, I would just probably be one of you know many. But um, yeah, Cassidy definitely can play both sides with that leverage there for sure. Um, do you guys think the the Bruins Canadians rivalries? I think like I don't know if TNT that game was on TNT. Maybe I think they like tweeted out like a poll like, 
is the Bruins Canadians still the best rivalry in hockey? And granted, you probably have a ton of neutral fans that hate Boston and Montreal, but a lot of people, the, the the majority said like, no, it's no longer the best rivalry. Now, you know, if you're talking history of the of the rivalry, it's still the greatest in my opinion. Yeah. But if you're talking recency, like, no, it's been pretty dormant for like I don't know, ten years now. Best rivalry then. <sighs> Pittsburgh Capitals has been decent, but I wouldn't say. Or Pit- well, even Pittsburgh Philly's cooled off a little bit recently because yeah. right? Philly hasn't been very good. I mean, yeah, recent rivalries. I mean, Tampa Florida is actually a pretty good one. That's but a that's good like one. Very yeah. start, start, starting last year, starting last year, starting last year. Um, actually, the Panthers Calgary Edmonton's always a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I mean, actually, Bruins Capitals have been pretty good the last couple of years too. Bruins Lightning's been wasn't a good that one. the goalie fight? Was it? Uh, was, uh, Battle of Alberta was. Probably, yeah, Mike Smith got in a fight with somebody. That that may have been like longer though. Longer that was ago. a few. That wasn't last year. That was yeah. two years ago or so. But yeah. yeah, when you get a goalie fight, you know it's a rivalry, yeah. and and you got Kachuk just instigating everything and yeah that was that was a game that i didn't see live at the time but i had to go back and watch it <laughs> and i watched a goalie fight several times i just yeah yeah you know, i mean yeah. i think bruins canadians is obviously still a rivalry and always will be but yeah it's definitely lost something because one constant in that rivalry throughout its history has been playoff series like they they've always been the, basically always have been in the same division other than like i think in the 1920s they weren't in the they didn't face each other early on, but yeah, like they always face each other in the playoffs, usually like first or second round. Um, and it seems like you've never, there's been very few stretches where you've gone more than like three or four years without them meeting the playoffs. And now, you know, it hasn't happened in a while. Like when was the last time they played um, in the playoffs? 20... The 20, 20, spring of 2014. Yeah. But like, you know, at the same, at the same token, like they also haven't played Montreal very much like they the Bruins haven't played Montreal in Montreal since like late 2018 or early 2019. We're in 2022 now because of you know the way the world's gone the last few years and then the different divisions last year. So I mean that doesn't help matters. And also like the last game they played got a little bit heated. Um, uh, Michael Pizzetta, the 1980s yeah. looking guy running around. Um, you know he was causing some ruckus. Um, yeah, Brendan, Brendan Gallagher, Gallagher's still there, wasn't, but he wasn't on 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 the ice that night. Neither was Josh Anderson. So like, there was definitely some potential for uh, um, Joel Edmondson wasn't out there. So like, you know, if they played each other enough, there could still be something. Now I will and say, I think the fans still feel that rivalry. Yeah, they do. But like the Bruins, quite frankly, and like the Hurricanes game is a good example of it. Um, and so is the Nashville game. Actually, the Bruins when, when when things do get physical, as far as like you know, dropping the gloves. They don't really have anybody that can do that. So like, like, like Nashville. Wait, you, mean you don't want Howla fighting again? <laughs> I, I like. Hey, you know what? He's he's really so. He's one of the guys in that Carolina game. I actually thought played buzzer to buzzer. I thought he worked hard. Um. So and Bridget and I were saying so did Pashnak too for the most part. That second line, they at least tried to play. But no. Um. They got bullied by. I mean, Derek Forbert. He's your one of your biggest guys. He gets totally you know ragdolled in the Nashville game. I mean. Michael Pizzetta almost takes out Grizzlick's head, and, and you got nobody doing anything besides Bergeron. And it's like, that's a problem to me. Like, last night against Carolina, it's like, look, not, not for nothing, we haven't even talked about it, but, like, you retire Willie O'Ree's number. It's, it's a monument, um, momentous night at the Garden, and you're getting your asses kicked. And there's just, there's no, there's, there's no, like, anything to tell Carolina, you know what, you got us tonight, but you're not leaving without a few bruises. Or anything like that. Yeah, and that, so that kind of comes back to where I think any fatigue or bumps and bruises from Nashville showed up was like, it was almost like the Bruins decided, made like a business choice of like, you know what? We're just going to conserve ourselves for our next game. And like, like, this one's already gone. Whereas to your point, like the alternative would be, let's go out there and bang some bodies and send a message. But you know, the problem with doing that is you're also banging yourself up. And that's where I think like, but you're also building character though. You know, like yeah, I I just I, I hear you, I agree, but it it doesn't help your it doesn't help your team's character. Like we're just gonna roll over and die when we know we don't have it. Like, nah, I, I agree. I'm just saying, good. like that's that good. that's what it looked like. They yeah. that consciously or subconsciously, like that it it looked like that is what they decided. Um, you know, so I I think being physical is one thing, and yeah, there should have been more of that. I saw some people saying like, you know, why isn't anyone dropping the gloves of someone? I'm like. 
why would anyone in Carolina drop the gloves? Like, yeah, Carolina doesn't really have like any goons who like are just out there to well, fight or whatever. Are the Bruins, true, like exactly. That's what I'm saying. They so, like, who who from Carolina was gonna fight, even if anyone in the Bruins wanted to? Um, so, you know, I don't think it's about like fighting or anything, but yeah, you would have liked to have seen more physicality and at least, you know, to your point, like send some sort of mess. You still have one more game with Carolina this season. Um, by the way, we haven't mentioned this yet. The uh, NHL announced the updated schedule, so the Bruins' month of February is now filled in. Yeah. Um, they play them early on, too, like February 10th at the Garden. Yeah, it's like right at, I think, the second game after the All-Star break. They have Pittsburgh, then Carolina. Um, so, yeah, you know, like th- that's going to be an interesting one because you would hope once that time comes that, like, the Bruins are, you know, really going to want to put forward their best foot in that game because uh, it's your – it's your last chance to send any sort of message to Carolina before the end of the regular season, and obviously you didn't on Tuesday. You know, to your point, and never mind on the scoreboard, but you didn't do it physically in in any ways. So. And, and look, I'm, I'm not I'm not expecting the Hanson brothers or you know Milan Lucic to go skate over Ryan Miller, but like the fact of the matter is, like you were down five one after the first, you got booed off the ice all three periods of the game. Your home crowd, those that remain, are doing the wave to pass the time in the third period. It's like you know something. It was nothing, like, nothing wears your pride. Like for, you, by the way, like I, the wave is always kind of pathetic. But well, they were doing that seeing, to make fun of the team. Yeah, seeing like at that point, I would say the garden was about thirty-five percent full. Like most of the crowd had already left, and just and it was really only like the loge doing it. Like it really wasn't getting to the balcony, and just to see like. You know, twelve fans per section doing the wave. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh Scott man, was in like, on what, it. what a rough night. Now, up until that game, guys, like I said, there was a lot of good. Okay, um, you know, David Pashnak, he's you know he's gone from like twenty one points to thirty two in the last like five games. You know, he's he he's back. You know, give him a, a, another game with two goals in a game. He's he's back on forty goal pace. Um, Taylor Hall's playing well. Like that second line still looks good. They they, they can you know. They're not the best defensive line in the world, but you know they combined for a couple goals against Nashville, the game winner in overtime. Um, you know, Martian won NHL star, the first star of the week. Um, Didn't go to the All Star game, but not an All Star apparently. But that's which yeah. is he's not the only one that got snubbed. Although Kadri did get get in eventually, but uh, you know, and then some other. Yeah, at least he was on the like the yeah the ballot, fr- the vote in yeah. ballot. Like yeah, Marshawn wasn't wasn't even on yeah. the ballot. No, he wasn't. But uh, so many bizarre like. Igor Shesterkin, who's probably the Vezina favorite right now, didn't make it and wasn't on the final ballot. Yeah. Like, well, some, somebody, somebody said something on Twitter like, you know, um, only in the NHL does the does is the is the fourth leading scorer in the league not an All Star, but the 164th one is. It was Nick Suzuki for the Canadians who was like 164th in scoring, and then like Kadri was whatever. But this is before he got in. Um, but just real quickly, so like you know, my, you guys, the big guys are coming to play. They've been playing well. Allmark is still playing really well. He, he he's he's on a heater in, in that. But also, you know, on the back end again, prior to the Carolina game, uh, Erho Vakanainen has you know he he was playing the most confident he had with the Bruins, making strong defensive plays, leading to game winning goals. Oscar Steen has been playing so well that the Bruins waived Carson Kuhlman, who got picked up by Seattle. So that's a roster change. Um, that's happened since we last spoke, and you know players were just, they they were they were showing the Bruins uh, management that like you know what maybe we did make some of the right moves in the offseason bringing in some of these guys like Halla and and you know Nosek's been strong all year but um so there was a lot of good before that Carolina game last night like I said left a sour taste in everybody's mouth now it's about like so you know what do we think about this team going forward like I I still can't help but watch the Bruins and think to myself you know. At this point, like, why is Jake DeBrusque still here? Like, you want to talk about a guy who had no... You know the answer. You want to talk about a guy that had no motivation to play last night after being down 5-1. It was Jake DeBrusque. Like, you know, he just doesn't care at all. And at this point, like, I I don't care if you get rid of him just for salary, you know, relief. But, like, he has to go because until he goes and you you can't figure out your true bottom six or at least tinker with your real bottom six until he's gone because... And and at that point, you can start to see who, who, who you ultimately might be as a team. Unless he sticks around all year, but I don't think that's the case. Well, they're going to try their darndest to get rid of him at the deadline. Yeah, and that's that's probably more likely now. But like you know, so you have Oscar Steen well, playing well. Nick Felino's coming back pretty soon. But I was going to mention Felino. Like he's becomes a really interesting part of this. So he's 
Cassidy said on Wednesday that Felino will be a game time decision Thursday. So we'll you know either he's back then or probably Saturday. Um, he becomes a really interesting piece because he would be the natural fit to go in on that third line left wing where Debruska is right now, and, and Steen you know, on the right, and you hope to find a deal for Debrusque at some point soon. But if Felino can play well and like start to find any sort of offense, which he really, you know, he finally scored a goal earlier this month, but really hasn't found any offense this season. But, like, if he could find, you know, a way to contribute and you end up with the Felino coil steen third line that can play pretty well, now DeBrusque really is expendable. And now maybe you're not worried about, you know, finding another roster player or doing, like, a one-for-one player swap. Now maybe you can stomach just dumping him for a draft, you know, mid-round pick or late-round pick or whatever it ends up being, a you know, mid-to-low-level prospect. Like, take whatever you can get and get the situation over with. Give yourself more cap space to work with come trade deadline and, you know, and set yourself up that way. Whereas, you know, I think for a while here, what's... Obviously, there's been a few different reasons for delay, and one is every team's run into these COVID issues and no one's really been making any moves anyways. Um, but the other factor in it has been that the Bruins have needed to brusque in the lineup because they've needed one, they've just needed bodies and two, they've needed some sort of skill on that third line. Um, you know, Felino was brought in to be at worst, a third liner. Like they are not paying him that money to be a fourth liner or a guy who's on the fringe of being in the lineup. So, you know, hopefully he's able to come back healthy and, you know, and and I would put him right in that spot and start that now. Felino, Coyle, Steen, because that's that's what could actually be your third line um, going forward, depending on what you end up doing before the deadline. And I think that, that line, as you just uh, listed, they have more upside. I think there's more upside to that than having DeBrus there. Well, especially if Jake's going to play the way he has been, where he's just uninspired. But it's just for my, in my opinion, you get to a certain point where you need to start thinking about. I mean, this this should be the case all hundred percent of the time, but you need to get to a point where you no longer are catering to you know Jake DeBrusque or this or that or like you know trying to increase his value by playing him or like no, you need to start getting figuring out what you want your chemistry to be on this team going forward and into the playoffs, and because you know it's not he's not going to be involved in that. So every game that you have to bre- now, granted, up until this point, even as we speak, there hasn't been a situation where everybody's been healthy and ha- they've had to make the decision. He's been in the lineup for all the reasons Scott just said. And uh, recently, like if Felino wasn't hurt, he probably may have been set- sitting in the last few games. I don't know, but I think that time's come. It's it certainly come in. in uh, Jake DeBrus, every game he's in there now going forward. If everybody's healthy, it's just another game that you cannot see what you will uh, you'll be putting on the ice come come springtime. So, and I still don't. I don't think that moving him to the fourth line makes all that much sense either. No, because no, no, the fourth not, line's been good. Yeah, now the way Anton Bleed's been playing, and then Lazar. you're also gonna have Trent Frederick coming back at some point, which is another body that you're gonna have to try to figure out. So, like, yeah, like you already had to wave Coolman because you had too many bodies. Now Frederick's gonna come back, and you're gonna be plus an extra body again. What's his timeline? Uh, we don't know. I mean, it was upper body injury. Mm-hmm. We assume a concussion. So yeah. really, until he gets fully cleared and is able to get back on the ice for practice, you you know, no one really knows. Um, one other thing that's transpired, and Scott actually kind of brought it up a few weeks ago, was that um, you know, during right before that that three week break, that three week pause, like COVID had gone through the entire Bruins team. Well, not so fast, said one Scott McLaughlin. It was pretty much just the forwards. He was like, not one defenseman had gotten it at the time. Since then, one by one, well, they seem to be getting it. Well, that was in our podcast with um, Mark was, Diver. Was Mark? Because, yeah. because we asked, well, when it inevitably happens, which yep. it seemed inevitable, who do they have to call up? He gave us you know, the comment that don't sleep on Vakanine and yeah. he he still has more he can give that you haven't seen yet. Right. And it turned out to be like the perfect timing for that interview because he gave us that preview and then he was right based on uh, what we've seen from Vakanine and so far. Yep. So I mean just in the last week alone since we last recorded um I, th- I believe Clifton got it, had to take a new back. 
Forbert, Forbert. Gobert, I got it. Forbert got to sunbathe for a few yeah. days. He just hung yeah. out in yeah, Florida. He, was- <laughs> he got it. Um, and then uh, Grizzly had to miss the Predators game. Or I'm not really sure which one, but he had to miss one of yeah, the games. Yeah, he missed the Predators He was game. asymptomatic. He comes right back. Um, Mike Riley is the latest one. And, yeah. you know, it comes at a time where he was He playing, had a really good game against play, Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Playing some of the best hockey Yeah, season. I think he's been playing pretty well for a last he had good a goal. stretch here. Most of this month. Yeah, no, he looks like he's back on his game, back to his his confidence levels, back. And I, I was watching that game with my dad, and he was like, where has this rally been the whole year? And, and it's true. We know he could play like that. I've never been really down on Riley, even though sometimes Cassidy has been. I know he can play like that, and he really proved himself, showed himself, and then all of a sudden catches COVID. So. Well, it, it was funny, though, because even after the Nashville game, where, like, Riley's... The Montreal game, the Nashville game, you know, Mike Riley was creating all sorts of offense all over the ice, and, like, somebody... And, you know, he scored a goal against Nashville, and somebody asked Cassidy after the game about Riley's performance, and it's, it's funny, because even after a game where it's, like, uh, Riley was, like, you, you think was, like, you know, phenomenal, Cassidy's, like... Yeah, you know, um, didn't love his gaps early on, Pluto. I do not understand. <laughs> I don't just... understand the way that Cassidy looks at Riley. Like, that's one of the biggest mysteries to it's me. like, this poor kid can't do anything to get, to get Cassidy's trust. Um, no, I mean, no, no. Cassidy liked his game. He was just, you know, commenting early on. He, but, um, so, and then he goes, he, he he's out for, you know, at least probably tomorrow night. Going, you know, we'll see what happens. But when he comes back, uh, you know, he's sure to be back in the mix. Um, I don't think... McAvoy or Carlo have gotten it, but I could be wrong. Um, Carlo, Carlo had it. Carlo had okay, it. Okay, so is it just McAvoy now? Uh, that we know of? Uh, Maybe yeah, just Clip, McAvoy yeah. and... I don't know if Vec and I had it down in Providence. I, mean, I don't know if he yeah, was that's something that. we. It's also but... possible McAvoy could have gotten it during the three-week pause, right? No, he didn't. He didn't, okay. No, they would have so, still reported that. Oh, okay. Uh, notable guys who haven't gotten it yet. McAvoy, Pasternak, yep. two big ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now both of your goalies. Which Pasternak was like the Swain... first Bruin to get it the first time around and then, right. and then but he still did, he didn't catch it this did hall time get around. It yet? hall had it uh hall uh, i don't believe so it's so many people to keep track of yeah, right. <laughs> but um and yeah. then but, so both your goalies right now haven't so you, you got to figure at some point one of Allmark or rask no, is did probably rask, gonna get it did rask have it do we really know well, for sure no. for a while, yeah right? they haven't had to i don't believe rask has had it i know swayman did i think he's the only goalie who did uh, it is important to note as, as well that um, I'm not sure when, but uh, I, I guess most of the team ha- has gotten the booster shot too. So look, you got a couple more guys that will inevitably get it probably over the next month, and they should be they sh- in theory good to go. Um, as yeah, team. at the very least, we know at this point that the Bruins are not going to have the kind of six, seven, eight player outbreak where you're wondering how you even field a roster for the night. Like it's going to be. I mean, they just had their defense outbreak. Like that's yeah. what that's what they just went through. So from here, and it, they got through it with yeah. with mostly a, a completely dominant ten games. Yeah. So from here, it'll really only just be a trickle of guys here and there. With the one, you know, so we we called the defense situation coming at some point. The one, you know, real problem that could pop up is if Allmark and Rask get at the same. Yeah, time. but you have Swayman. You would have Swayman and I guess Kyle Kaiser, or probably, yeah. or maybe Troy Groznick. But so, like, you're not calling up a guy from Providence to start that you're like, okay, good, yeah. Jesus, take the wheel, like, right. good luck. It's Swayman. Like, that's when you're yeah. the fact that you have pretty much three starting goalies could c- come in handy. Or David, <laughs> or David Ayers can come by. Who knows? <laughs> um. So, look, I mean, I, you know, not to go on too long, um, probably wrap it up here soon, but, you know, I would just say, you know, for Bruins fans that are discouraged by last night's loss, I would just say, look, it's it was definitely a stinker. It happens. Uh, it was, you know, I said to these guys before, like, it was one of those games where I don't ever see that, that kind of game between those two teams happening again. It was the worst in every aspect. It was the worst possible game the Bruins could have even played, and it was the best game that Carolina could have played. You know, it, it's it was a one-off. That doesn't excuse them, and it certainly doesn't mean that um, they are capable of beating the Hurricanes in a playoff series or or any of the top teams right now. The, the Bruins need to; they have some personnel that they, they got to figure out. We all know that, but yeah. we can, we can only say that so much until it happens. Like we can only speculate so long. And, yeah, and I, um, I would also point out, like, what was the Bruins' worst loss last season? Do you remember? 
Oh, such a blur at this point. Um, I, I think I saw, was it something about the Capitals eight one or something? Yeah, eight one to the Capitals. Poor Dan Vladar got hung out to dry. Uh, now, the Bruins trade for Taylor Hall, Mike Riley, and Curtis Lazar within about eighteen hours after that game. <laughs> so that changes a lot. But the the narrative point, all of a sudden, no one's writing a story about that. Weirdly enough, <laughs> point is, is like. There was this narrative last year that the Bruins got pushed around by the Capitals. You know, Brandon Carl gets knocked out by Tom Wilson. You lose a one to them. By the time you get to the playoffs, the Bruins beat the Capitals in five games. Like, things can change. You know, one horrible game is not the end of the world. So, no. I, mean, I, I do, I do think like you know, one key player though in that series the Bruins don't have this year though. Is, is Kevin Miller, right? I mean, he, he's a guy, like, I, I mean, from a physicality standpoint, like, when you're talking a war of attrition, like, so that's why I'm just saying, like... Well, you, Kevin Miller got knocked out of that series, though. But when... Was but, it that series? I thought it was... Oh, yeah, Orlock. Yeah, yeah right. it was. But huh. in the in the games that he was in there, and even in yeah, that game... Big kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... He was more... He was physical, and that he would have been a, a good guy for the Bruins to be able to get back. Yeah. Um, But you, your point... Is like is taken because yeah. he's somebody that could at least pose have a presence there that you knew like you're gonna have to answer for something right more Tyler Lewington yeah hey look <laughs> I mean I just think I, I think uh, I think back to like that that first game against Washington in the playoffs and I just remember like um, the viral tweet that happened of like you know uh, Lozon and, and and giving Ovechkin all the rabbit cross checks in the corner and then like. Ovechkin yelling at Lozon, and then Miller yelling back at Ovechkin, and you know they they did have they were a little bit tougher on defense last year. That's all I'm saying, and so and that's important in the playoffs over seven games. So, but again, that's why this roster is incomplete. So until then, we'll see what happens. But uh, overall, they've won eight of ten. You know, one of the uh, best teams in the league since the the COVID um, pause, and we fully expect them to to get back. Certainly, ne- we'll never see that happen. Last night, the effort alone. I, I I would be surprised if we see that again this year. I mean that was that was as bad as it got. Yeah, I guess I, I would say I wouldn't be shocked if it pops up again at some point. Just because I think when you have so many games, you know, bunched together in, in such a short period of time, and the Bruins are going to have you know several back to backs and three and four days and stuff like that. Um, well, really, the rest they don't of the have way, any more back to backs this month? No, not this month. Um, but the rest of the way, like you. You just have a really compact schedule, so I wouldn't be shocked if there's another total dud in there somewhere. I don't know if it'll be 7-1, but just a game where they're totally off. Like It's going to be bound to happen when you play a lot of games in a short amount of time. Um, but, as I said off the top, like just limit it to one night. Bounce back the next night, get back on track over you know the next week or so, and... And just get back to what you were doing because you you were playing very well. So I think you know that like that's the difference between good teams and bad teams is, is good teams have these bad nights and make sure it only lasts one night. Bad teams let them pile up and now you're on a four game losing streak. I'm I'm not convinced that loss last night was a good was was a bad thing. Truth be told, yeah, I think I think it was I think it was great. For Don Sweeney and Cam Neely to, to to watch their team get humbled on a very on a night where all eyes in the NHL were on were on the Garden for Willie O'Ree, and they got smacked in the mouth by a team that's going to be there, you know, right down to the end. I feel like this year in the Eastern Conference. So this team needs to the the players got humbled. The coaching staff needs to be better. They got to coach. Like don't Rob Brindamore has his team playing very very in sync. Bruce Cassidy. You know the power play; they weren't adjusting to the the quick penalty killers on on the on the Hurricanes. Like I was telling Bridget on, on the penalty kill, the Hurricanes, one guy forces the play, the other guy anticipates where that force is going and, and and gets his feet going. The guys in the power play, they get the puck standing still. You have to get your feet going to counter that. So like just little things like that. I just thought they didn't make adjustments, but it's good for the management, the coaches, and the players to get humbled like that because I think that. You know, you can start to get some false hope and think you're better than you are when you're on one of these streaks. And I just think it's good to come back down to earth every once in a while. And, and can I say, just looking at the schedule, they do not have an easy schedule to start February. They're on a road trip playing against the three top teams in the uh, in the Pacific. They're out playing, out west playing the Kings, then Anaheim, then Vegas. 
So there, that is going to be a tough portion of the season because those teams are all playing well, and that's well, on the road. That's a five-game road trip starting in the, Seattle. Yeah, there's, there's a stretch where they go like almost a month with only one home game, like from February yeah, six-game road trip. February twelfth, they have a four-game road trip, then one home game. Then I think the six game road trip you're talking about. Yeah, so it, and then I finally back. So it's like it's like twenty five days with only one home game. Yeah, that and which, which makes up for the stretch that they have now, where it seems like they have a home game like yeah. every day and a half. So yeah, Scott and I have been at the Garden quite a bit. Scott, last <laughs> I live there now. Last, I actually have a sleeping <laughs> bag the in the rent press box. Is it bad? Rent, rent expensive. Um, yes. The, the worst is. part is the Celtics writers who try to like throw me out, and I'm like. Just getting a nap, guys. Like, come on. <laughs> you know, you, you know. I had I to double, double take last night, Scott, because the Bruins played so bad, I could have sworn they had to have been wearing their third jerseys. <laughs> right? I mean, that's that was a third jersey type game, that kind of stinker. Um, they should have they should have had 1958 throwbacks. That would have been great. That would have been cool. But really anyway. cool. That would have been we, smart. We really touched on it, but the, the Willie O'Ree ceremony was awesome. Really cool stuff. Like, you know. What it, a speech. It's obviously unfortunate that he couldn't be there and – we understand why he's he's 86 years old. He lives in San Diego, literally the exact opposite end of the country. Um, so, you know, makes all sense in the world why he didn't want to travel and makes all sense in the world for the Bruins to not want to push it off another year. Like, you can't just keep pushing it back. There's no guarantee COVID's going to be better next year. So you do it. You do it virtually. And it was well done. Like, yeah, Ori's speech is great. The reception from the crowd was great. The video which highlighted a lot of you know the most fascinating part of like Willie O'Ree to me isn't well there's two things like it's not necessarily that he broke the color barrier one is that he was legally blind in one eye which is just insane yeah and the other is everything he's done since he became the NHL's diversity ambassador in 1998 and what he's done in that role which I think is probably done even more for the game than than you know what he did as a player um which is obviously important in its own right but what he's done to help grow the game and just, you know, bring it, introduce it to communities that probably otherwise, you know, wouldn't pay attention to hockey is awesome. And, and, um, you know, and I, and I like that that was highlighted and, um, you know, shown as part of all that. He had a, he had a really, um, a really great line when he was talking, cause I didn't know about the eye injury either. I mean, obviously I wasn't alive back in when his playing days, but, uh, that was my first year on the beat. What? <laughs> 1950 something. <laughs> you, you, you and DuPont. Um, what, do you, what do you say? It was something like uh, his dad or his coach said something to him like, don't don't worry about what you can't see, focus on what you can see or something like that, yeah. which I thought was a really, really cool, uh, really great quote. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool ceremony. You know, wish you could have been there, but uh, nah, it was great. Unfortunately, but, the game didn't follow suit, but I, I, I think, uh, you know, 20, 50 years from now, his number will be in the Raptors. Nobody remember that they lost seven to one to Carolina. Right. It, yeah. It's funny though that Except like for the Hurricanes Twitter how, account. how he did manage to hide the the eye injury from teams because, um, like if you look at photos of him, like especially like early on, like that fifty eight season or whatever, he clearly has like a black eye. Like his eye is bruised, and it's like. I guess no one. They're just like, "Hey, you good?" Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm good." <laughs> like, the, there's no actual like, like they didn't do medicals back then. You know, you didn't have to get cleared by a doctor. So, absolute warriors back then. Just a different game. It really was a different game. Insane. The, the stuff those guys played through. And, and oh my god, imagine being a goalie back then. Oh my goodness. Um, Bridget, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think. I mean. I think we spent enough time on the good, the bad, so I guess we'll meet up again. When when are we filming again? Well, filming, I, filming. I, don't, know, I don't know about ever. So. <laughs> no, we filmed before <laughs> on true. Zoom when yeah. we had That's COVID true. worries. We're, we're still working on uh, getting Odyssey to pay for our in-studio cameras in our little podcast studio here. And then the producer. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, add that to a long list of things. Honestly, <laughs> and to send us on road games and. Yep, Scott, are you are you final? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. It looks okay. like Tuesday, well, maybe. Thank yeah. you everybody for listening. Uh, episode seventy-seven, Ray Bork. Right, not a bad number. 
I believe he was number 77. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, just double checking. I think that one's up in the rafters, too. So. Yeah, that one right next to number 22. Well, not right next to it, but nah, not, 24 not in between. No, yeah, they, they, they do go in America, right? So Yeah, they got a big gap that's going to be filled over the next uh, 10, 15 years. Between, right now it goes from, I believe it goes from 24 to 77. I don't think there's anything in between. Yeah. Well, 37 and 63 will be. In 33, yeah. 46. 75, is Hugel up there yet? Uh, oh, no, oh. they're holding that out for Clifton. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.